Guys, we have people from all around the world coming together to read the scriptures. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to spend today a little bit shorter, maybe about 15 to 20 minutes just reading the word. And then I'll spend another 15 to 20 minutes today reflecting on the word. We call this the read and rant. Usually we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading the word and we spend another 20 to 30 minutes or even longer uh, just ranting where you guys can just hear me rant about the scriptures. But my the purpose of our time here is to read through the entire Bible together. There's a family of you guys now on TikTok. We've become a family, y'all. I mean, I know you guys are getting to know each other on TikTok and now on IG. We got a family here and this family is journeying through reading the entire Bible together. Um, we've read through the entire New Testament together. We've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And now we are in Joshua chapter 14. So we're just reading through the entire Bible and then we'll spend some time reflecting on it. This isn't a Bible study, but this is a meditational reading. Um, it's a time where we simply meditate on the scriptures to hear what the Lord has to say concerning himself, concerning his people and concerning us today. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to ask for the Lord to lead us. I don't have anything prepared. I simply go as the Lord leads. And in doing so, I can sometimes give you a little bit of, 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 of instruction along the way. But this isn't necessarily a Bible study. This is more of a meditational reading. I do intend, though, uh, when I'm afforded the time, maybe when I don't have a lot of other work going on, because, you know, I have, you know, I'm, I'm like quad vocational. I've got a whole bunch of other things that are going on uh, in my life. And so maybe the more I can focus on this, the more I can maybe devote my time to just simply teaching the scripture, because I, I think Bible study is also very, very very important as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read and we're going to get right to it since we're not afforded the same amount of time today as we usually are. So let's get right to it. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us with your word. I pray that you would give us revelation in your word. Father, we've come to hear from you today. So Lord, speak to us. Lord, Reveal to us your will. Reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us your ways. Lord, we want to know you. So, Father, as we read this word today, reveal who you are. When we read this word today, Father, reveal who we are. And, Father, as I read this word today, reveal who I am. Lord, discern me. Lord, correct me. Correct us. Discern us, Lord, as we uh, engage in your scripture. Lord, dissect us, Lord God. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's go ahead. Joshua chapter 14. And I'm going to get right to it. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the, hand, by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property as the Lord commanded Moses so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, 
You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 40 years since ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here this day, I am 85 years old. As yet, I'm strong this day, as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that in that day how Anakim was there and that cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord did. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron was Kerjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Hmm. Chapter 15. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern boundary, and the southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea, from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akurabim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karka, from where it passed toward Asmon, and went to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. And the border of the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea, at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beth Hagla, and passed north of Beth Araba. And the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the border went up toward Debir, from the valley of Accor. And it turned toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent in Adumim which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of En-Shemesh and ended in En-Regal. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies in the valley of Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of Raphaim, northward. Then the border went from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoa and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around Bala, which is Kerjath Jerim. Then the border turned towards Bala to the Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Chesalon, went down from Beth Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went to the side of Ekron northward. The border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Bala, and extended to Jabnail, Jabniel. And the border ended at the sea. 
The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around to their families. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, Arba, the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kerjath Sephir. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kerjah Sefer, Sefer, and takes it to him, I will give Aksha, my daughter, as his wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave to Aksha, his daughter, as wife. Now it was, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a forefield. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The cities at the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the boredom of Edom in the south were Kebziel, Eder, Jagger, Kina, Demona, Adada, Kadesh, Hazor, Ethnanan, Ziph, Telam, Baaloth, Hazor, Hadata, Kerioth, Hezron, which is Hazor, Ammon, Shema, Molada, Hazor, Gada, Heshmon, Bethpelet, Hazor Shual, Beersheba, Bizjothaja, Baala, Ajim, Azem, Eltalad, Shesel, Horma, Ziklag, Madmana, Sanana, Labath, Shahim, Ain, and Ramon. All the cities are 29 with their villages. In the lowland, Eshtal, Zora, Ashna, Zanoa, Enganim, Tapua, Enam, Jamuth, Adulam, Sakoth, Azekah, Sharaim, Adithaim, Gedera, Gedarathaim, Fourteen cities in their villages, Zenan, Hadasha, Migdalgad, Dilian, Mizpah, Jokthail, Lakish, Bothka, Eglon, Kabon, Lamas, Kithlish, Gedaroth, Beth Dagon, Naama, and Makeda. Sixteen cities with their villages, Libna, Ether, Ashen, Jifta, Ashna, Nezib, Kela, Exib, and Marisha, nine cities with their villages, Ekron with its town and villages, from Ekron to the sea, all the layer of Ashdod, and with their villages, Ashdod with its town and villages, Gaza with its town and villages, as far as the brook of Egypt and the great sea with its coastline. And in the mountain country, Shamir, Gatir, Shakoth, Dana, Kerja Hasana, which is Debir. Anab, Eshtamoth, Anim, Goshen, Halan, Gilo, eleven cities with their villages, Arab, Duma, Eshien, Shanum, Beth Tapua, Ephaka, Hamta, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, and Zaira, nine cities with their villages, Maon, Carmel, Ziph, Juta, Jezreel, Kodium, Zanoa, 
Kain, Jebia, and Timnah, ten cities with their villages, Halhol, Bethzur, Gedor, Marath, Beth, Anath, and Eltikon, six cities with their villages, Kerjath Baal, which is Kerjath Jarim, and Rabbah, two cities with their villages, in the wilderness, in the wilderness, Beth Arab, Midin, Sekak, sorry, Sekaka, Nibshan, the city of salt, and En Gedi, six cities in their villages. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Joshua 16. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho to the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains of Bethel, then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites, to Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jephalites, Jephalites, as far as the boundary of the lower Beth Haran to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. And the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of the inheritance on the east side of Ataroth Adar, as far as the upper Beth Haran. And the border went out toward the sea on the north side of Mechathath. Mechathath. Sorry, Mechmethath. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That the border went around towards Tanath, Shiloh, and passed by it on the east of Janona. Then it went down from Janoha to Ataroth to Nara, reached to Jericho, and came out toward the Jordan. The border went out to Tapua toward the brook of Cana, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelled among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Ooh. Joshua 17. There was a lot. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely from Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead in Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemidah. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these were the names of the daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they came near before Eliezer the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our borders. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan. 
which were on the other side of the Jordan because of the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. And the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory from Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmethoth, that lies east of Shechem. And the border went along the south to the inhabitants of En-Tepua. Manasseh had the land of Tempua, but Tepua on the border of Manasseh, according, sorry, belonging, which belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to the brook Cana, southward to the brook. The east of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher and Manasseh led Beth Shean and its towns, Ebliam and its towns, and the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites dwelt, sorry, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites into forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are great people inasmuch as the Lord blessed us now. So Joshua answered them, if you are great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both of both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and you have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though you have iron chariots and are strong. Hmm. Uh... I'm going to stop right here um, and we'll pick up on Joshua chapter 18. Um, we've read now, let's see, today we started with Joshua, uh, Joshua 14. And we've read now from Joshua 14 uh, through Joshua 17. Um, I'm going to leave a little bit earlier today, so I want to. Uh, just give you guys a few things that um, come to mind as I'm reflecting on this text, as I'm reflecting on today's scripture. Um, I've been prefacing this for, for so long now. Um, I'm sure now I sound like a broken record to many of you, uh, but I always emphasize this and I hope that this is giving you context um, as you continue to read through these chapters, as you proceed through these chapters. We're seeing a shift in the story. Um, remember, when we read the Bible, we must take we must give the story precedence to everything else. 
Let me say that one more time. When we read the scripture, we must give the story itself precedence. Um, you, we don't read the scripture like it's a book of rules or a law that is written for Christians or believers to believe. Okay, if you've read it up to this point and you've spent some time reading it with me up to this point, what you're seeing is a perspective. You're seeing an author who is writing a scripture, but the scripture or what he's writing is essentially a history book. Um, this is a story. This is a historical book. We have to remember that when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading uh, simply this book of rules that we ought to follow. As a matter of fact, even if we were to read it as a book of rules, this doesn't even involve us. It doesn't even include us because, again, this Mosaic law that we've read was written for ancient Israel. It wasn't written to the rest of humanity because God is writing a story of humanity through a people. He's writing the story of humanity and he's using the law in order to do it. We, we talked about the purpose of the law, right? That the law was meant to shape out the children of God, okay? The children, not the children, well, you can say the children of God as well, but to shape out more specifically in particularity to the children of Israel. He's shaping out the children of Israel, right? To be a nation, but a nation that's literally under God. <laughs> it's a nation that is driven by the divine principles of the law. They were to be a nation who followed under a different rule, under a different government, under a different system. It wasn't under a system of thought, but it was under a spiritual system. And that system was articulated through the law. These children made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And in that covenant, the law then shaped them out to be the nation of priests that they were called to be. What is a priest? A priest is simply a mediator between God and man. They were called to be the mediators. They were called to be the ambassadors of God, to reflect what the kingdom of God would look like and to live out the kingdom of God. Are you understanding here? So essentially what we're seeing in the law is the law was written to them. It wasn't written to us. But it was written to them to reveal the character of God, to reveal the holiness of God, but by consequence also to reveal how this law was designed to shape them into becoming this nation of priests. They were called to be the nation of priests. And now that they have the law, they receive the law of the atonement, which is that even when they break the law, because they're going to continually break the law, God gave them another law. And the book of Leviticus is all about that law. That law is the law of the atonement, which allows these people to continue to be in the presence of God, even in the absence of their righteousness and holiness on, on their own. Because what we see is the law was not good enough for them to be in the presence of God. And so the law was never good enough. Okay. First of all, the law was designed to shape them. But the very imputation of the law, the fact that the law even exists, is now what gives right, the enemy power. It is the law now that gives the accuser power. And so now with the law, 
they fall profoundly short, even though it's, it was meant to shape them, they fall profoundly short of that law. And so in that law, God provided an amendment. The book of Leviticus is an amendment to the Mosaic law in Exodus. And the amendment was, is that adding to the law was a way out that these people who would continue to disobey the law can practice what we call the sacrificial law, the atonement, a priest would stand between them and God. And that priest would provide a blood sacrifice and the blood sacrifice now would give them access back to God. This is fundamentally different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world had a whole different way of thinking, a whole different system of thought, a whole different system of living, a whole different system of being. These people were different. And that's what God called them to be. He said, be holy for I'm holy. And now they're entering into this land. They've crossed the river Jordan and now they are entering into a land and they're subduing it. We're reading, which might, some of you may call a snoozer. This part of our reading here is actually an explanation for how this land was going to be partitioned among them. Notice now we're seeing the history of the children of God. We're seeing a history of the chosen people. It's not a law unto us, but a history of the chosen people. Now, if you read Joshua, and that's why I think, pardon me if I rant, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, but if I didn't, um, I'm going to mention it now. But I think it's in part the reason why I'm slightly frustrated with the codification of how of the Old Testament. I'm slightly frustrated with how we sometimes break the Old Testament down, where we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We call that the Torah, or we call it the Pentateuch, the five books of the law, or we call it the Mosaic law, or some Christians will call it the law. I have a problem with all of those, uh, most of those titles. Um, and then we get into Joshua and all of a sudden it's a whole different thing. Now, all of a sudden we're reading the historical books. We're going to read the history. Now of the children of God, might I invite you to revisit that? There's some of you reading for the first time with me. So this is all new for you, but might I invite you that you should read actually Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as a historical book as well. It's not, it doesn't start at Joshua. Joshua is actually a continuation of Deuteronomy. It's not like we took one section of books, we put it here, then the Bible took another section of books and we put it there. This is a continuation. We're actually reading a story of a, of a people. I'm going to give you some perspective here. Hopefully this doesn't throw you guys off. Okay, because some of you, this may be all new for you, and that's cool. Um, and I hope this changes how you read this, this text. But read this as a story about a people. Okay, read this. If I even get into what I want to share today, read this as a story about a people. Okay, that's how the Bible presents it. It's just a story about a people. What if I told you that this is a story about a people all the way through the Old Testament? This is a story about a people. 
Okay, we're reading a story about a people. Now we're going to Joshua, and then we're going to read Judges, and then we're going to read Ruth, then we're going to read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. We're going to read First and Second Chronicles. Then we're going to read Ezra, Nehemiah. We're going to read Esther. We're going to read Job, and I think that's where the breakoff is. Okay, that's where I think the breakoff is when we read it. But all the way to this point, we're reading a story about a people. But the story about this people has profound implications on the history of all people. God is writing the history of all of humanity through a people. And so that's what we're reading here. These people had left a land. Remember, Abraham was given the promise He'd be the father of many nations. Notice, he's not the father of one nation. He's the father of many nations. He becomes the father of many nations. He's actually the father of all the nations that are in conflict with each other. <laughs> I'm going to get there. He's the father of all those nations. Even the ones that are in conflict, he's their father. They, are all, they all came from his seed. But while they came from his seed, they didn't come from his covenant. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel becomes a family. That family moves to Egypt. That family grows after spending centuries in Egypt and becomes a nation. Nations don't fit inside of nations. And so they were under the captivity of the Egyptians. Moses came in, drew them out. They, the covenant was, was made between them because God made the covenant with Abraham. Now he's reinstituting the covenant at Mount Sinai with the children of Israel. That's what Exodus is all about. With the covenant came the law. Because there's the law and then there's covenant. Covenant is the contract that they make, that God made with the children of Israel. The law was the means by which they fulfilled the contract. But then they didn't fulfill the law. So there were amendments made to the law. That's Leviticus. Then after Leviticus, we see that they, they could not be in the presence of God because the law wasn't good enough for, the, for them to be in the presence of God. So then there was Leviticus. And after Leviticus ends, now they have a means back into the presence of God that's through the blood sacrifice. And through a blood sacrifice, now an unholy and unrighteous people can now carry the presence of God with them simply through the atonement. And so they carry the presence of God with them. Notice this is a story about a people. Everybody see that story about a people. That's what we're reading here from Genesis 15, maybe a little earlier from Genesis 15. We're reading. Actually, you can start it from Genesis eight with Noah. Oh, wait, you can start it from the beginning with Adam. <laughs> right. We see the genealogy. Why do you think and I want to make sure everybody understands this? Why do you think the scripture spends so much time giving all the names and the genealogies because what the Bible wants you to see and what God wants you to see is how he's writing the story of a family. Did you hear me? How he's writing a story of a family. That's what he's showing. He's revealing a story of a family all the way through. He's revealing a bloodline. This is an ancestry.com. This is an ancient ancestry.com. Why does this story matter of this family? The story of this family matters because in the end, God is writing out 
and he's revealing how the story unravels and we see the full unraveling of that story in Matthew. But up to this point, we're seeing the story of a family and that's how we ought to read it. Is this making sense? We need to back away when we read Genesis. So now if you read it as a story of a family and you read it as a story of a people, it gives you now clarity and a posture to even read the things that are difficult to accept and to understand. I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Remember I said this before, that God was not in the business of 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 pulling us out of earth and taking us to heaven. That's not what God was in the business of. God was in the business of filling the earth with his glory and filling the earth with his presence. And he did that through mankind when he breathed his spirit into him, meaning when he breathes his spirit into mankind, when he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He's saying, multiply, because as you multiply, I'm filling the earth. He's saying, replenish the earth, replenish the earth. Fill the earth, because as you multiply, I multiply on the earth. God wanted to make the entire earth Eden. Eden was just a location, because Eden was where Adam was and where God was in Adam. The moment God separated from Adam, Eden stopped being Eden. <laughs> um, people talk about, well, we're looking for where Eden is. Eden is more than a geographical location. Eden was a marriage of a ge geographical location and a spiritual reality. That's why you're never going to find Eden. It, you're not gonna find any archeological evidence to prove Eden because Eden was not just a physical place, but it was a spiritual reality. And yet, when man is one with God and in covenant with God, then man becomes a full representative of God. Wherever man goes, that's where God is. In the same way, an ambassador, if the ambassador of the United States to France goes to Paris, the United States is in Paris. That's why where the ambassador lives in the embassy, if you attack the embassy, you've attacked the United States because that's United States territory. So everywhere where there's a U.S. embassy, that is U.S. territory because the very person who sits there and who lives there embodies the full sovereignty of the United States. So when he told man to fill the earth and subdue it, he was saying, as my representatives, let us make, as, as my imagers, let us make man in our image, then we're filling it everywhere we go. This is what God sought to accomplish on earth. And God was doing this through a people. I'm glad this is so helpful to you. I'm glad this is so helpful to you. He's filling the earth through a people. And yet now, because Adam had sinned against God, Adam left the garden, but the garden, he already lost the garden at the garden. 
Why? Because the scriptures tell us that Adam hid from God. Notice, God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. So notice here, I hope you guys are seeing, I hope I'm opening your eyes to a narrative here that God has always been in the business of bringing restoration to the earth. It wasn't one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. It was as Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So really what God wanted to do is not take us out of earth and bring us to heaven. God wants to bring heaven to earth. Eden was the marriage of heaven and earth. And that's why Eden is a spiritual reality. The moment that heaven broke off from earth, sin came into the world, then came death, then came all the things that we saw. The land of Canaan is the embodiment of the reality of what was lost at the garden. Canaan represented the separation of heaven and earth. Canaan was filled with everything other than what God desired. They ruled according to what even Adam sinned against, which is to be gods in their own right. They ruled for their own self-pleasure, for their own self-gratification. When we see how they ruled the earth, they ruled the earth to do what's best for themselves. So it was all about self-gratification. It was all about sensuality. It was all about um, the spirits that govern them. And so we see stories of, of how they lived and some would call it barbaric, but what if I told you it was just being human without the presence of God? Barbarism is animalistic. And yet this is the character that we have. Sorry if I rant here, but I got to speak into this, that this is the character. There is an animal in us, ah, but the spirit of God is also in us. You see, the distinction that we have with the animals is that we don't just simply submit to our environment and we submit to something even deeper. Ah, yes, this, the scriptures tell us in Job chapter 32 that there's a spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, which gives him understanding. So now what God, what Canaan embodies is what it's like for man to live on his own and to do what he desires and as he pleases. I want to make sure you understand God is telling the story of humanity right now. So when we read it as a story, there are things you read in it that now you can reconcile with because you're reading it within the backdrop of the story of God in an ancient time. I hope this is helping you guys. I hope this is helpful because now when you read things like, as we read, because I know this may seem boring to a lot of you, right? Man, why are we sitting around just uttering all these names and speaking all these names? Because the history matters. That's, 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 that's the, uh, I'll just put it that way. History matters. The history matters. What happened matters. How they divide the land matters. Remember, this is not about us. This is about them. This is about what God is doing through them. And so now God is bringing them into Canaan and he's turning Canaan into Israel. And he's dividing the land among them. There are things that we read here that are very uncomfortable, 
But when we understand it within the backdrop of the story, then now we understand that God is writing a bigger story. Maybe that's what I'm going to call this podcast episode, a bigger story. It is all about the bloodline. It's a bigger story. We read in, as we read in uh, Joshua chapter 16, look at the last, look at the last verse in Joshua chapter 16 there. It ends after they've divided the land. It says, and they did not drive the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day, and they have become forced laborers. Ready? Here it is. Ready? People will read that. I think I've spoken about this before, but I'll say it again. I don't think I repeat. I think we need to hear it over and over again. So that's fine. Eventually you'll catch it. So I'll just be repetitive and hopefully I don't bore you in that. But in verse 10, we read that. Watch this. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Ready? When we read this scripture like it's a law, then we go, look, the Bible is condoning slavery. There it is. Look what happened and have become forced laborers. Why? Because we've read it like it's a law. But when we read it as a story with a grand narrative, then we know that because again, the ancient Hebrews, oh, I'm ranting. Okay. I'm, I'm here. How much time do I have? Okay. I got five, 10 minutes. The ancient Hebrews knew what they were reading when they read it. And the ancient Hebrews knew that God was writing a story through them. And the ancient Hebrews had a bigger sense of what's happening in their life because the ancient Hebrews knew that God who now has chosen them is writing a story through them, that their life is literally a writing, that they're, that, that they're living is, is literally a writing of a story. So everything that is transpiring has a profound, grander implication. Are you hearing that? So now when they see this, they understand we miss it, but they don't miss it, which is why they were very peculiar people because they understood it differently than we did. Canaan, they understood was what happened in Eden. Canaan was Eden lost. And as a children of God who are entering into the land that was promised them, it wasn't just about economics. It wasn't just about political power. It wasn't about military might. It wasn't about any of that, but rather it was about them taking a space in which the devil occupied, occupied, and now they would occupy it with the heart in the presence of God. That's how they understood it. And if it is written within that context and it's written within that narrative, then we can read this now and go, oh, this is not about the Bible condoning forced labor. This is about what happens when those who are not of this world are not occupied under the banner of the kingdom of God. That these people will now be slaves under a territory in the same way that we who were Canaanites before are slaves under the grace of God. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying here? This was bigger than just, oh, the Bible's condoning slavery. No, there's a grander story here. 
that we often miss because we're still trying to read it like it's a book of rules. But when we back away from the text and read this text as something that implies something greater than just, oh, how Christians ought to live because the Bible's supposed to teach how Christians ought to live. No, the Bible's teaching what God has accomplished and what God has done through his people. So now it says here that they did not drive the Canaanites who dwelled in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwelled among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. I read that and I say to myself, what powerful grace is it that when the text tells us that they were permitted to be utterly destroyed, that instead of allowing them to be destroyed, he allowed them to live. And in allowing them to live, the question was, will they serve under Yahweh, the one true God, or will they still serve their own identity and their own way of living? Some would say, well, it says here it's just because they were Canaanites. This, there wasn't a, it wasn't a racial element to this. You want proof that it wasn't racial? Because we saw Canaanites who were celebrated in the body. We've seen from, from, uh, oof, uh, let's see, from the book of Numbers, we saw Canaanites who joined them, who the scriptures tell us in the law itself gave the Canaanites rights as well, along with the children of Israel, that they were given rights to be protected and to live alongside them, not as slaves, but as free people. This was not about race. This was about faith. <laughs> If the Canaanites would follow their way and believe in the one true God and not serve the false idols, then they can be beneficiaries of the same grace. This was never about race. This was never about ethnicity. Anybody who's teaching that is teaching it wrong because they're not seeing the grand narrative. This was about faith. How is it that some Canaanites got to enjoy the beneficiaries of the, were also beneficiaries of the blessings of God, but some Canaanites were not? The problem was, is they dwelt in the land, but they remained in their way of living. And because they remained in their way of living, they remained forced laborers. I don't, I don't have time to pack this out, but later on in the text, you're going to begin to understand now when Paul is speaking to the Hebrews, he, they know what he's saying. Read the book, book of Hebrews is a greater understanding. That's why when he says he who commits sin is a slave to sin, he's saying we're living under a new rule and a new government. And yet if we don't submit to it, we become a slave to it. So now, rather than being beneficiaries of the grace of God, we suffer under the grace of God. And so we see that in verse 13, Joshua 17, verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Again, they weren't driven out but the grace allowed them to stay. And there was an opportunity, we'll see later on, that those who were distant were given the possibility to be free. 
You see, this wasn't permanent slavery. This was temporal slavery. And how grateful are we that even when we were born in slavery, every one of us has been born in slavery. I think we forget that. We were born in slavery. We, we are pilgrims in a land. We were, we were born as exiles, every one of us, born as exiles to this land, born slaves to sin. Canaan is being taken over, and yet what privilege is it that we still have a way out? And the way out is not going to be by performance, but the way out is simply by submission and by faith. There's so much that I can say, but I got to go. I got to get going. But if there's anything I want you to remember as you read through Joshua, as you read through Judges, as you read through Ruth, as you read through First Samuel, Second Samuel, as you read through the scriptural text, do not read it as a book of laws for you to follow, but rather a revelation of the glory of God through a story. Because watch this now, God doesn't want your compliance. He wants to write his story through you. You get to choose what side of that story you get to be a part of. If you choose, that's why he said, that's why later on in this text, Joshua will say, choose this day whom you will serve. He says, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. So the question is now, is what part of the story do you want to be on? What side of the story do you want to be on? Okay, what side of the story do you want to be on? If there's anything I want you to leave with today is to leave with knowing you're a player in a story. You're, you're just a player in a story. I read uh, a scripture to you guys, I think it was a few weeks ago or maybe about a week ago. And I want to close this because I want you to have this perspective as we close. A lot of us fall into this temptation and I don't know why I have to speak against it and to speak into it, but I'm going to speak into it. I think I, I think I, I remember pointing this to you guys, but I'm going to go ahead and share it with you guys again. It's highlighted in pink in my Bible. Um, and it is highlighted in pink means it's really important. <laughs> In John chapter 5, verse 39, I want you to look at it real quick. How many of us fall into this temptation? In verse 39, this is what Jesus says. Remember, this is Jesus now. This is the Son of God. This is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, that who, who we beheld is glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus now. God, fully God, poured out in the kenosis, in man, fully God, God in man, God in flesh, who came and dwelt among us. This is God speaking. And God has brought himself down among us, humbled himself, and he gave us these words. And these are the words that he says in John chapter five, verse 39. Actually, you could, whenever you get a chance, read that whole section, whatever you get a chance. But I want to point out this one 
text. You search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. This is the problem and the temptation of many of us. We think that in the scriptures, we have eternal life. There's some of us right now that are falling into the temptation of reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all these books, and looking at all the things I need to do to have eternal life. Tell me what's in there that'll give me eternal life. We have all done it. We've all done it. Jesus says to them, this is Jesus now saying it to them. You search the scriptures because we've all done it for in them. You think that you have eternal life, but Jesus says this, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. This is some of the most powerful words that you can hear coming from God in flesh. God himself said this. These are words in red. They're in red. You know what? That means they're really, really important. It means Jesus said it. There are many of us who are reading the story of the Bible right now and the scriptures, and we think that in it we'll find what we need to have eternal life. And yet Jesus is saying to us that maybe you don't realize that this is a story that was written to testify of me. He's literally the word testify there means to make witness of or to point to whenever you were testifying of something, you were bearing witness. That means you saw it and you would point to it. The word testify here literally says all this scripture that you've been reading is pointing to me. This was always about Jesus. And we missed that because we're still trying to figure out the rules about how to serve and how to, to, to fulfill this calling and, and what rules do I need to do and don't do to go to heaven or to go to hell. And Jesus is saying, this was meant for you to see me. This was meant to reveal me. I'm revealing myself through the story of these people's lives, through the story of this bloodline. It has been fulfilled in me. I'm the end of that bloodline. This is all pointing to me. God was in the business of protecting his bloodline because he wanted to show the story that he was writing to point to Christ. There's somebody right now who's asking, how am I saved? I'm going to give you one last verse. Turn to Romans. And after that, I'm closing because I got to go. Turn to Romans chapter eight. And in Romans chapter eight. <clears throat> Verse 
I sorry, not Romans chapter eight. Sorry, not Romans chapter eight. Um, um, John chapter seventeen. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, but John chapter seventeen. John chapter 17, this is Jesus' final prayer. This is Jesus' prayer before he dies. This is Jesus' prayer before he goes on the cross. This is Jesus. You would think this is important. These are Jesus' final words. This is for somebody right now. Because some people who've been very, very uncomfortable with what I've been teaching. So that's cool. And that's fine. Because I, I understand it. You you gotta break all your religious, you gotta break your whole religious mold. But John chapter 17, look at verse. Jesus is closing. This is his prayer. 17, 18, Jesus is, this is actually the Lord's prayer. <laughs> okay? And Jesus is giving us, you think this, if this is Jesus' final prayer, these words that he's about to say are really, 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 really important. By the way, this is, all, this is also in Romans, but I want you to hear Jesus' words. Paul alludes to this as well. It says, and this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent some of us are trying to go to heaven but we're not seeking to know the person we're reading the scriptures but we're not seeking to know the person from the beginning what God wanted is for you to know the person Salvation is not following all the rules, getting your ticket punched, and getting a passport to heaven. That's not salvation. Salvation is actually knowing God. These are Jesus' words, y'all. It's in red. <laughs> it's important. Paul says... Um, in the scripture, Paul closes in the scripture says, oh, that I may know him. Like, is that our desire? Like, do we actually desire to know God? Do we desire to know him? Like that's, that's at the end of the day. That's, 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 that's the goal. <laughs> oh, that I may know him. And this is salvation. I'm going to give you, I know I'm, I'm ranting now, but I'm all over the place and I'm breaking some rules, but I feel like I need to speak this into some people because we're about to shift in reading in the old Testament. And there are a lot of us who were still trying to break from this mold of religious thinking. And I'm trying to get you out. Of that. I'm trying to throw your shelf on the ground. I'm trying to completely throw your shelf on the ground. Um, Philippians chapter three, this is Paul. Philippians chapter three and in Philippians chapter three, verse 10, I'm ranting, but you guys are gonna have to endure it. He says, you know what? Forget that. Read, I'm gonna read seven through 10. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the what knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Notice he's counting it a loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain what? Christ 
Watch this now. Verse 9. And be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Notice what Paul says now in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul's desire was to know Christ, not to follow rules. S. Broden, I'm going to make it real, real short for you. The law of the Sabbath was not written to Christians. It was written to ancient Israel. And yet the law was meant to shape them into becoming the nation of people that God intended them to be, to be priests. And yet, although they failed, the atonement of Jesus Christ came to forgive them, not only to forgive them, but to give them access back into the presence of God that they may know God. And in the end, Jesus came and he became what the Israelites could not. The law was the means by which they would be the nation of priests. And they could not be that nation of priests because they continually failed and continued to fall into captivity and continue to fall in and out of captivity. And yet afterwards, Jesus came and he became the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not. Jesus became the Hebrew Israelite that the Hebrew Israelites could not. And it's now through Jesus that came the reconcile of all reconciliation of all mankind. And it's through Jesus that the law was fulfilled. I know this is in a Bible study, but I'm, I hope y'all understanding what I mean when Jesus says he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. Meaning he came to do what the law was intended to do, which is to institute the priest that would bring the sacrifice, that would bring the redemption of all mankind and bring Eden back to earth. The Sabbath was never for the Gentiles. It was for the Hebrews. And the Sabbath isn't for them anymore because it was a Hebrew who became the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not. And so now it's not on the Hebrews anymore because a Hebrew fulfilled it for them. The law wasn't meant to save. The law was meant to institute God's justice and God's justice was fulfilled by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. He is our Sabbath. So now we don't, we don't, we don't, um, we don't observe the Sabbath. We now get to know the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So it's knowing Jesus. You see how that works? I hope that's helpful. You see how that works? He is our Sabbath. Father, I thank you, oh, Lord, that you are writing a story. You're writing a bigger story. There's a greater story that you're writing and you're writing it through your children and we're seeing the story unveil and unravel, Lord, through your children. And Father, even now, Lord, as we read this, Lord, I'm being convicted in this moment that you're writing a story to each and every one of us. That even through your story, we are a part of that story, players in a grander story of what you are doing for all of humanity and in all time. 
So, Father, teach us your ways that we may know you. Give us the confidence to know there's purpose behind everything in our lives, Lord God, that we would know, Lord, that you are making all things new. Lord, even through this story, we're anticipating how the story ends. Lord, we've read through your word. We know how the story ends, and so we're grateful for that, to know, Lord, that your government will be established, that your kingdom come, and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we bless your name, and we thank you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.